0: scripture for today is from Hebrews chapter 2 and I will be reading from the message translation. It makes good sense that the God who got everything started and keeps everything going now completes the work by making the salvation pioneer perfect through suffering as he leads all these people to glory Since the one who saves and those who are saved have a common origin, Jesus doesn't hesitate to treat them as family, saying, I'll tell my good friends, my brothers and sisters all I know about you. I'll join them in worship and praise to you. Again, he puts himself in the same family circle when he says, even I live by placing my trust in God. And yet again, I'm here with the children God gave me. Since the children are made of flesh and blood, it's logical that the Savior took on flesh and blood in order to rescue them by his death. By embracing death, taking it into himself, he destroyed the devil's hold on death and freed all who cower through life, scared to death of death. It's obvious, of course, that he didn't go to all this trouble for angels. It was for people like us, children of Abraham. That's why he had to enter into every detail of human life. Then, when he came before God as high priest to get rid of the people's sins, he would have already experienced it all himself, all the pain, all the testing, and would be able to help where help was needed. So as long as human beings have been telling stories the world has needed saving. Long before Wonder Woman rescued the world from Ares, the god of war, and Superman defeated General Zod, ancient religions and mythologies have offered their own ideas of world salvation. The Chinese archer god Yi And the Native American Old Coyote both saved the land, plants, oceans, humans, animals from being consumed by fire, one with his bow and arrows, the other through the creation of water. Christians believe that Jesus is the way that God chose to bring salvation to the world. In today's Bible passage in Hebrews, the writer reminds the book's first readers about the peculiar way that God decided to bring salvation to the world. Not with superpowers, magic wristbands, or magical tools, but rather through a normal everyday baby boy born to Mary and Joseph three times three times in eight verses the writer tells his readers that jesus experienced human life exactly like them jesus was like you in every way three times two thousand years of our christian tradition affords us many privileges one of which is our theological understanding of Jesus as both fully divine and fully human. We often take for granted that this inherited theological understanding we have about Jesus is actually the result of debate and discernment about Jesus' nature that took place over the first 300 years of Christianity, so they didn't work it out in like a day. It took a while. One night uh, when I was in seminary in a church history class, my professor was teaching us about these early church debates and councils about Jesus's true nature. Is he fully human or fully divine? Is Jesus sort of like one of those aliens from Men in Black who looks like a human on the outside? but on the inside, he's actually divine. My professor drew a big rectangle on the board, and on the top line of the rectangle, he wrote the word divine. And beneath the bottom line of the rectangle, he wrote the word human. And then he moved his marker around inside the rectangle to show us that eventually the church leaders decided that the answer about Jesus' divinity and humanity was somewhere inside this box. And they weren't exactly sure where. Some people leaned more toward divinity, other people more toward humanity, and they agreed that they would just have to disagree somewhere inside this box. That night in class after he finished showing us the box, my professor slowly put the top on his marker, and then he set his marker on the tray beneath the board, and then he turned to face the class, and he crossed his hands in front of his body, and this is how we knew that he was about to stop teaching and about to start preaching you know, my professor said, right after Jesus' death in those early first years of Christianity, it was really a struggle for people to accept the idea that this man that they had seen walking around in the flesh was in some way divine. And he said, it's it's really the opposite for us today, isn't it? We primarily understand Jesus as divine. That's what we've been taught we struggle to understand Jesus as human and then my professor put his hand on his chin and he tucked his other arm under his elbow which was full-on preacher mode this is important isn't it this really matters because if Jesus only looked like a man on the outside in his form, but was divine on the inside and not human, if his substance was divine, then, then it's not really sacrifice and suffering, is it? When Jesus was dying on the cross and he cried out to God in this moment of God-forsakenness, was he just making it look like he was in agony? When Jesus was publicly on trial, did he actually experience humiliation and injustice, or was all of it really just for show? When Jesus' best friends turned their backs on him, neglecting him, and then deserting him at his darkest hour, did he actually experience betrayal? Betrayal? When Jesus prayed in the garden, agonizing and grieving over what was to come, and asking, God, is there any other way? Did Jesus really experience anguish? Or were those sweat drops of blood for appearances only? we who are here in this room today can begin to hear and feel the significance of the explanation in today's passage in Hebrews. We know very little about the people for whom Hebrews was written. We don't know exactly the year. We don't know exactly the author. We don't know who it was written to, the town where they lived. But what we do know, based on what's in the book, is that these were a people who were struggling in their faith, and they were most likely a group of very uh, learned Jewish people who were practicing Christians that were considering giving up their Christian practice. We know that this group of people suffered, and that it was probably in the way that most first century Christians suffered. Political and religious persecution, sporadic acts of violence and denigration, a profound sense of isolation. These were very small groups of believers in big cities, big places. They were in the minority, and they were far away from other Christians. Most likely, some of the believers in this group had had their homes looted and their possessions taken, and we know that some of them were in prison. The writer who wrote Hebrews knows that this group of people is ready to give up. And so he tells them, remember Jesus. I want you to know, he says, that that Jesus is like you in every way every humiliation, every trial, every loss, suffering, sacrifice, and grief that you are facing because of your practice, Jesus experienced that too. And the writer even reminds them that that Jesus endured the human experience even unto death, which I find to be a sobering reminder for the writer to offer this group. Because Jesus has been through what you have been through, he says, Jesus can help you right where you are. Don't give up. The other day, my best friend and I were sitting and we were talking over coffee, which is totally a treat because we live 700 miles apart from each other. And we were talking about the title of today's sermon, God's Big Brother, Big Sister Program, And my friend said well I was a big sister once. It was a flop. I was a terrible big sister. I was 18 years old and I was out for a volunteer achievement that I could put on my resume and I was completely unprepared for the challenges that my little sister was facing. Nobody told me what life was like for her. And so when she started to tell me about the economic, academic, emotional, relational reality that she was living, I was completely overwhelmed. Had no idea what to offer her. I wonder if you found yourself at a point on your own journey where you felt totally unprepared or utterly overwhelmed, specifically on your journey of faith. You know, we talk a lot in the church about the superhuman, supernatural aspects of salvation, resurrection, to name a big one. And where we sit in history, we hear the gospel story with the end in mind. Jesus is raised from the dead. Death is no longer the final word. And this is wonderful news. But it also puts us at risk of skipping over what Jesus goes through before he arrives at resurrection which actually puts us at risk of skipping over some vital moments on our own journeys of salvation. We're living in a time that is sorely in need of humanity. We know that in our own church, in our own town, in our own state, there are still people who are hungry and thirsty every day. There are still people who need a safe place to live. We know that people, we, are exhausted and depleted, running on empty. We are in need of rest for our bodies and for our minds. Right now, we are talking over each other, we're talking at each other, and that means that in a lot of places we've turned off our listening ears. We live in a time where people are prepared to tear each other apart, to sacrifice relationships and collective strength in order to be their own version of right. A lot of us, because we're overwhelmed, are walking around with our eyes closed to some of these things. We're shutting ourselves off from issues of violence and loneliness and anxiety that even our children are grappling with every day. I'm worried that sometimes We're not aware of how unprepared we are for these overwhelming times as people of faith. So how does our theology of Jesus as fully divine and fully human translate into a practice that changes our lives? Just like the hebrews writer was asking this group of people how can we respond in faith to the truth that jesus is our big brother jesus is like us in every way you know i wonder what would happen if 2020 is for each of us A year of humanity? What if we made a commitment to practice an ethic of humanity this year? What if we spent this year reminding ourselves how Jesus is like us in every way? Hungry, thirsty, tired, grumpy, lonely in a crowd, giddy and silly, full of love and longing, yelling, and listening, grieving, overwhelmed, short on time, dreaming big in a small-minded world. Maybe just like us, Jesus sometimes needed alone time, or maybe just a really big cup of coffee. What if this year we we reread the gospels and and asked God to help us see and hear Jesus as our brother? Our teacher walking with us on the dusty noisy roads of our lives sitting with us around the dinner table talking with us about struggles and longings and dreams maybe if we read the Gospels and think of Jesus in this way it could help us to allow Jesus not just in the supernatural super powerful sectioned off places that we think he belongs, but maybe allow Jesus into every moment of our day. I think that Jesus longs to be invited into that space. What if in embracing Jesus's humanity, 2020 then becomes a year when we feel permission to embrace our humanity, Like, this year, what if we eat simply and healthily? Like, what if we actually ate five to seven fruits and vegetables a day? Good things could happen, right? What if we drank a little bit more water and maybe a little bit less coffee or sugared drinks? What if maybe we got seven to eight hours of sleep most nights? What if we limited our screen time a little bit? like walked into the house from work or from school and put our phone down and don't pick it up for three hours? What if we nurture our relationships? Did you know that loneliness is more and more being talked about as America's next public health emergency? It's a real thing. So what if this year we nurture our relationships? Or what if we set aside some time each week to exercise or nurture ourselves spiritually? by practicing meditation or solitude and silence? What if you set aside one day each quarter for prayer in 2020? Or maybe read the scriptures daily or maybe even take the risk of finding a prayer partner, someone that you could share your faith and prayer needs with. You know, one thing I've noticed about myself is that my willingness to cultivate well-being in my life and in my body is directly correlated to my ability to have compassion and empathy for others. So when I am depleted, I am impatient and I do not listen well. And I'm much less willing to respond to the needs of other people around me, whether that's my children or at work or out in the community, when there's a holy interruption and I pass it by. When I embrace my own humanity, I'm less focused on myself. And that feels weird to us, doesn't it? So what if in embracing our humanity, we're freed to embrace other people's humanity? What if 2020 is a year where we listen more to perspectives that are different than our own? What if we allow God to transform divisive situations or volatile situations into opportunities for reconciliation and compromise? What if we notice needs in our community or in our world that we've been neglecting or ignoring? What if this year we ask God, to give us a heart that is for others. And ask God to give us hands that are open to give and to serve. However God is stirring and cultivating in your life as you look at 2020 coming up this week, I hope that you will remember this. Whenever you find yourself in the middle of striving and failure, or when you're feeling hopeless or exhausted, I hope that you will remember that God chose to bring salvation to us, to you, not by demanding that you shape your life to fit God's or that you somehow become superhuman, or that you all of a sudden become able to fulfill an impossible list of demands, or meet an impossible standard. I hope that you'll remember that God brought us salvation by becoming like us in every way. That God chose to fit God's life into ours through Jesus. That's grace. We're not perfect, and at times we are unprepared and overwhelmed, so in those times, I hope that you'll remember that Jesus has been there too and that Jesus can guide us and help us to keep going because as the scripture says, the light has shone in the darkness and the darkness cannot put it out. Amen.